Hi there, it's Catherine Elsden here. I'm the minister at Bethel Maidstone United Church. We are a small congregation with a big heart, located in Maidstone, Ontario. This podcast is a way for you to praise God, deepen your faith, and connect to the worship life of our congregation. In the sermons and the prayers and music, I hope you find something to inspire, comfort, or challenge you. We are in the midst of a series on finding hope in hard times, taking lessons on faith from the adventures of the prophet Elijah. This episode is the fifth in the series, and it's entitled Hope in the Stillness. It's based on the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18, in which Elijah reaches a desperate level of frustration and fatigue, and finds God by slowing down and quieting down. Let us begin with this prayer written by Suzanne Edgar. Holy One, we are tired and overwhelmed by the enormity of the challenges we face these days. You tell us today to pause and take stock. What is it that we are looking for? We know our heart's desires need to be possible, attainable. We know we can't turn back the clock or stop the sands of time. We know the future will be what we make it within the boundaries of the choices life offers each of us. Help us to pay attention to our souls, to take time to listen to your still, small voice leading us on the path of salvation, which is justice and compassion for all. Amen. following the adventures of Elijah these past few episodes. He was called by God out of obscurity to be a messenger for the Lord and to call the king and the people back to faith and away from the idolatry of the storm god Baal. Elijah declared a drought as proof that the God of Israel is the God of all creation. And then Elijah fled to the wilderness where he learned to rely on God. Next, he encountered a widow and both of them have their faith renewed as God provides sustenance and life. Then Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal, in which God distinctly demonstrates God's power in a fiery display. And finally, Elijah prays for the end of the drought, which stretches his faith and reminds him that the Lord is sovereign and that the Lord is faithful. After the showdown on Mount Carmel, after the drought was ended, King Ahab returns to his queen and reports on all that the God of Israel had done through the prophet Elijah. She is furious. Not only were her prophets embarrassed, but they had been subsequently killed. 
Jezebel has lost significant resources and her ego is also bruised. She puts a death warrant out on Elijah's head, vowing to kill him by this time tomorrow. Elijah does what's sensible. He runs for his life. After a day of running, he collapses, absolutely spent. He drops down under a broom tree and lies there. He has been through a lot. He's had some major victories, but the stress, the physical and spiritual stress, is getting to him. He feels he can't go on. He says to God, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. He feels so tired and hopeless that he wants to die. Elijah closes his eyes and falls asleep. He's awoken from his sleep by an angel who makes him eat and drink some bread and water. Twice he is awoken and provided sustenance. Chapter 19, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. On the strength of that food, he journeys 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, the mountain where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and later gave the Ten Commandments to the freed Israelites. So a little light bulb should go off for us here. Elijah is miraculously fed in the wilderness, just like the Israelites, as they fled slavery in Egypt. Elijah travels 40 days and 40 nights, just as the Israelites wandered 40 years in the desert. Elijah heads to Mount Sinai, exactly where Moses received his revelations. All of these allusions are clues, telling us that we're meant to understand Elijah as a prophet on the same level as Moses, and his story as a definitive one in the history of Israel. Elijah arrives at Mount Horeb, and he, like us, is expecting big things. The mountain is exactly where we would expect God to show up. It's where God dramatically showed up for Moses. But interestingly, Elijah ascends the mountain and spends the night in a cave. Presumably, he's exhausted from his journey. A cave is a place to withdraw, a place of darkness, quiet, concealment, isolation. He is on the mountaintop, but Elijah is retreating from God's presence. He hears the word of the Lord, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Now, in his desperation, Elijah is exaggerating. From elsewhere in scripture, we know he's not the only prophet left. However, it's obvious Elijah feels totally alone and hopeless. God responds. God promises to be profoundly present with Elijah. God says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God is going to visit and make an unmistakable appearance? We know from elsewhere in Scripture that actually seeing God is a rare and dangerous privilege. Is Elijah excited? Fearful? He is most definitely filled with a sense of anticipation as he awaits the appearance of God. But once again, his expectations of God will be challenged. As Elijah awaits God's appearance, a great wind picks up so strong that it breaks rock into pieces. It would have been understandable for Elijah to expect to find God in the wind. The spirit, after all, was in the kind of wind that first hovered over the face of the waters at creation. 
God was in the wind that breathed life into human beings, and the wind and cloud present in the tabernacle when it settled in among the wandering Israelites, and the wind that was heard when the Spirit visited the early church at Pentecost. But contrary to experiences of past, it says in verse 11, the Lord was not in the wind. Next, an earthquake shakes the mountain. Surely God would be in the earthquake. The same God who created the heavens and the earth could shake the earth at its foundations. We can recall that an earthquake accompanied the tearing of the temple curtain at the time of Jesus' death, and an earthquake shook apart a jail cell that held Paul and Silas in prison. God must be in this earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Finally, a fire appears. Certainly God would be in the fire. Just like God had been in the fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness by night, or the fire that appeared at Pentecost, and even the fire that burnt up the altar on Mount Carmel in answer to Elijah's own prayer. Elijah surely expected to find God in this fire. But God was not in the fire, because God is not always found in the ways we have found God before. Instead, as McGray de Vega points out in his book, Hope for Hard Times, what this passage teaches us is that we need to leave room in our hearts and minds for God to surprise us, to break out of our preconceived notions and the boxes where we have placed God. Sometimes what's needed is simply for us to quiet our thoughts and our minds and listen and watch for God to work. Elijah likely expected God to appear in some dramatic, material way, but it is not until those assumptions are dispelled that God finally breaks through to him. The Bible says that after the wind, earthquake, and fire, eventually Elijah heard a sound, thin, quiet. Some translations call it a sound of sheer silence, or a still, small voice. This voice of God, just above a whisper, asks Elijah again, what are you doing here? And in the stillness and quiet, Elijah pours out his hurts and frustrations once again. I have been so faithful. I have tried so hard. I feel alone and abandoned. My life is in peril and I see no hope. And this time the Lord gives Elijah clear direction. Go, return through the wilderness, and afterwards you will anoint a new king, and I will provide you with a successor, a prophet to take over in your stead. God offers a plan, a new way forward for Elijah. Sometimes the key to overcoming spiritual dryness and exhaustion, the key to experiencing something new, inspiring and surprising, is to quiet your life down and listen. This pandemic in many regards has forced us all to slow down. Even if you are still working, how you spend your free time has likely changed as social commitments are limited and public activities non-existent. And yet, a forced lockdown doesn't necessarily mean that we have all taken this opportunity to quiet down and listen. I, more often than not, usually fill the void left by this lockdown with music and podcasts and TV and chores. To quiet down and listen is something we need to do with intentionality. Perhaps the best thing for you to do right now is sit in silence and soak in the presence of God. From Teresa Blythe's book, 50 Ways to Pray, I offer you these instructions to do just that. 
to sit in centering prayer. I invite you to listen to these instructions and when you're ready, pause the podcast and begin. So the first step is to identify how long you wish to stay in prayer. If you're a beginner and not accustomed to silence, you might want to start with 10 minutes. Most advocates of centering prayer recommend 30 minutes on a regular basis, but that might be something to work towards. You may want to set a timer so you can let go of concerns about time. Next, choose a word that fits with your image of God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit. Any word that's meaningful to you is fine. This will be your sacred word for the next few minutes. Get comfortable in your chair. Feel free to shift your weight now and then to remain comfortable. Say a brief prayer asking the living presence of Christ to become real to you in this time. Take a few moments of silence to focus on your intention. Then say your sacred word to yourself silently. Allow your word to be the only thought in your mind. Other thoughts will come, of course, but gently return to your word, silently repeating your word to yourself, not frantically, but in a relaxed way. If new thoughts come to you, simply acknowledge them and return to your word. Even if you find other words coming to mind that you would like to express to God, go back to your centering word, knowing that you will have the opportunity to say other things to God at the end. When the time you have set aside is over, end your centering prayer by thanking God for the gift of silence and presence. Silently share any words you wanted to say to God before. After the prayer, you might want to take some time to reflect or journal about the experience. What was it like for you? What was the hardest part? What part of the prayer seemed easy? What was going on inside your mind? What feelings came up? Did you feel closer to God? How does awareness change as we stop what we are doing? If this prayer practice is new to you, don't worry if you get distracted or find your mind wandering. Simply return to your word and trust that with practice, you will find deep spaces of silence opening between the repeating of your word. And sometimes that is exactly where you find God as well in those deep spaces of silence between words. In the sound of sheer silence, we can hear a still small voice offering hope when we quiet down and listen. Amen.
Thank you for listening, and thank you for the many ways you continue to support this ministry by your prayers and your financial donations to the church. Get in touch with us to give us any feedback or suggestions you may have. Subscribe to receive updates and follow us on Facebook. Join us next time as Elijah gains a disciple and King Ahab teaches us a lesson about envy and entitlement. Until then, may God the Father bless you and keep you. God the Son save you and direct you. God the Spirit teach you and guide you this day and evermore. Amen.